Left. Right. Yo, thank you for tuning in. This is the advice episode, part two. Thank you for all the questions in advance. If you guys have more questions and you like the way we answer your questions, send some more and we will put them all together and do another episode. But until then, listen on and I'll see you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. This is episode 103 of Sip Talk, the advice episode, part two. So first question, this is probably a better question for you, James, the pros and cons versus from prepaid accounts, prepaid college accounts to 529 accounts. Do you know what a 529 account is? I'm very familiar with 529 accounts, not very familiar with prepaid tuition accounts. So... Um, I'll start with the 529, which is basically when you, it's an investment account that will grow tax-free, assuming that the withdrawals that you make from it are used to pay for education expenses. And about two years ago, they expanded it so that not only could you use the 529 plan for college expenses, but you can also use them for primary and secondary school. So if you're sending your kid to a private school and you want to pay the tuition there, you can. Um, another bonus of a 529 plan is most states will allow you to take a deduction on your state taxes for the amount that were contributed during the year to a 529 plan. So if you've got the money, then you can get a little deduction on your state taxes. You don't get any deduction on your federal, but you can put that money in and then any earnings on that are not taxed as long as they're paid for education expenses. Mm, so, so, sounds like a good deal. It, it's really a win-win. Um, the only thing is that you can't use that money for anything besides education. Otherwise, you're going to be paying tax when you withdraw it. You're going to be paying tax on the earnings. The, um, the amount that you put in is your basis. So you don't have to pay tax on that. Um, for a prepaid college account, I'm not as well versed in them. But I think the, to me, that would that not be a 529? Is there a, no the college 29 plan is not to a specific school. That's okay. just an investment account that you have that's held usually by some kind of state endorsed entity. Um, but so if you're like in South Carolina, we have the, what's called the future scholar plan. That's what pretty much all my clients use. Okay. Um, and, the, and that's kind of a state registered investment company that okay. runs your investments yeah yeah that may i get it but a prepaid college account means you're prepaying a college how far in advance and what's your likeliness of being accepted to that to that college well Is it generally, a guaranteed acceptance generally prepaid college accounts are to state schools um and i don't know how it works in terms of like what happens to the prepaid college account if you don't get accepted to that school i i don't it, this is a state by state thing. Um, for example, like Washington state prepaid college accounts are pretty popular there because of the system that Washington has designed for itself. Um, but I think the advantages with prepaid college accounts is that you can lock in, you, you're basically prepaying for, for classes now 
And if tuition goes up in the future, let's say it's $500 a credit right now. And so you put in, I don't know, 6,000 bucks. See, that's four, that's four classes. That's basically one semester's worth of classes. You pay $6,000 now. And in 10 years, when your kid goes to school, if it's $1,000 a credit hour, then it would have been $12,000 for you to pay for those classes yeah, yeah, in the I, future. I, I, I and you, you already booked them for six. So understood. So, whereas if you put that $6,000 into a 529 plan in 10 years, would that investment double in value? Maybe, pro- maybe not. I don't not. know. Yeah. So it's, it's dollar for dollar. The, the 529 plan is flexible and it's dollar for dollar. Whereas the college investment, the, the prepaid college means that you get to lock in tuition today and whatever the tuition does in the future, you still get to pay today's rates for the stuff that you prepay. Now, do people do this for themselves or do they do this for their kids? Um, almost always for kids That's or you often see it like grandkids. That makes sense. Uh, hi to Casey, Nicole, and hi to Elmira in the Philippines. Philippines? Uh, yeah. I and, always uh, wanted to go of, there. Speaking of Philippines, we got Phil. Phil is watching us. Uh, Phil from the I office. Worked with, uh, I worked in a restaurant that was owned by Filipinos. Great people. Oh, yeah? Just general, generally speaking? Yeah, I love working with them. Sounds very racist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, so look, I'll, I'll get your advice on this. Um, you know, I, I'm realizing that Twitter is just really for sharing criticisms. People who really engage and interact are just very critical and very critical of each other. I, I didn't really, I don't spend that much time browsing and engaging on Twitter. I just have a thought. I usually share the thought and then I log out of Twitter. Uh, it, you know, it's not something I've really looked at since I set it up and just said, ah, oh, this is kind of boring. Um, I saw a post from the New York times. I'm sorry. I saw a post from the New York post and there was two yeah, very th- different from the New York times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there was uh, a split split image of two kids. One was like four or five years old and the picture was a bad picture. He had the shadow over him. He was, he was a white dude. The other was what to me looked like a 14 year old boy who was uh, who was black and they both looked like innocent, you know, kids. And the headline read. um, Boy kidnapped in sleep. Die dies, something like that. So when I read the headline and I looked at the image, I looked at the more clear picture, which is which was of the black kid thinking he was like 14. And then I saw the other picture of the other kid and was like, oh, well, I'm guessing that it must be the other kid. And then I realized that I'm I'm guessing this because I'm using kind of race Impli- as it's implicit bias race as as a context clue. So I just made it, you know, I, I tried to carefully craft my my comment as to not be offensive, but just to draw attention to the fact that I said something along the lines of New York Times or New, New York, York Post. New York Post has used uh, the conveniently used um, race as an indicator here or something like that. And the headline could have been more specific and, and we wouldn't have had to use that context clue, something along those lines. And then I just started getting attacked by. I mean, there's got to be at least 100 comments and then 50 comments on like the two or three tweets I made trying to straighten out or expand on my thought. And then I just deleted it because I was like, I'm not going to continue to 
uh, you know, fight back what my perspective was. But everybody was saying, well, obviously the four year old didn't abduct the teenager. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't believe that the teenager abducted the four year old at first. I just you, the only context clue you had was that one was a little bit older, but definitely not, in my opinion, of the kidnapping age and black. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, well, point is, I got beat up on that. And, and my advice is, uh, you know, to people who are very critical of other people on I, I, I was a bit critiquing the headline of the New York Post. But, you know, I just got bashed over and over again by you know, hundreds well, you, of comments. If you're going to post something on Twitter, you got to have some thick skin here. Well, my, Let's my, take one of these advice, questions from Rosh, though. My advice is going to be just not to post or really get involved. Well, but, Twitter, yeah, that's always yeah. the best advice. Okay. All right. Which one of these? Uh, he's given us five options here. OK, um, How, well, <laughs> let's start on the top. I'll let you read the question and then I'll answer it. All right. Well, yeah, the first one is <laughs> not good for me. How to be socially active. Um, so I, I wonder if they I, I, I'm assuming they mean in person and not on social media. But we're going to have to answer it that way. Yeah, we're going to have to answer it that way. And my thinking is that means this person might be feeling a little lonely, maybe needs some, some ways to hang out and is spending most of their nights after work at home with not much to do, which is not that I'm super socially active. But it's never an issue I've ever run into. I always have more to do every day. Obviously, we're running an hour late today. I always have more to do than I can cope with. And I'm often not able to participate in things that I'd like to participate just because I'm busy. Like friends go out. They You're go not here. answering their question. The point is, I don't have that problem. Why do I not have that problem? And it's because I interact with people on a regular basis. And, you know, I, I've set myself up with a decent friend network and I don't ignore my friends. Um, I think how do you be more socially active? It may just start by it may it may begin with putting yourself out of your comfort zone as a start. So either you need to start interacting more with the friends that you have or work harder to start making new friends and interacting with the friends that you have could simply be upping your game on social media, sending messages, sending text messages, calling people up. And you don't have to do it to try to get them to hang out with you, but you just check in on people, see how they are. And these are subtle reminders that you exist. So when something happens, you're more likely to be invited to those things. Um, and I think I got one idea here. All right. I'm more the person who comes home and doesn't hang out with anybody. But for me, that makes me happy. But if 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 I were interested in trying to be more socially active and going out to a bar by yourself can be kind of tough. So I'm not going to recommend that. It, it's something you can do. But if, if you're already not that outgoing or social, then going out to a bar by yourself to try and meet people is probably going to be difficult. So hey, what I would hey, say is hey Brett on TikTok, hang tight. We'll answer your question next. All right. Go ahead. What Is I would my... say is. You have to have some kind of a hobby, whether it's a sport or a game or a craft or, or something. So I'm just going to make up something. Let's say you're into volleyball. Find go whatever city you're in, find where people play volleyball and just ask to join a game. And eventually you'll you'll start conversations with people and you'll 
like, probability dictates that eventually you'll find someone that you get along with. Yes, I so probability... whatever your hobby is, find a group that meets up to do that kind of thing together, and then don't go in looking for friends. Go in looking to enjoy the hobby that you're doing, and just kind of accidentally you will meet people that you get along but with. But yeah, probability dictates a very large role in, in what you're saying. But also, you know, when when the game's over and people are hanging out, you can talk to them. You can, you can, you know, congratulate them on the game, but you can involve yourself rather than just going to your, your stuff bag, your gym bag, packing it up, getting in your car and driving home. You, everybody's going to know that you're new. <laughs> like, you know, people know it, it's, it's less likely. They have, not, the, they have these groups specifically for new people it, because they want new, more people to come to whatever event they're doing. Whenever I, I go out for jogs around the city, especially in the summertime, I see all these groups out there. And I always think it's funny because obviously I'm not, I just said, I don't have a problem with finding things to do or people to hang out with or groups to join. But if you work in a small company and you see the same three people over and over again, and you have a very closed circle, it may be difficult to get out of that. So you may need to find meetup groups or something like that. I just watch these people with these different colored shirts on playing team sports in the weirdest make-believe sports like you know, just weird, fris- just weird frisbee sports, and just things that I would never, ever, ever do. And it's funny that people are playing these sports just to go out and meet new people. In my opinion, it, it works. but they're out there, Listen. and it, it, that's what you got to do. I've I've gone to meetup groups. I've, did I ever tell you the time I joined the running meetup group? Yeah, but let's let's try and hammer out some more of these questions right. here. So let me let me just hit you with the question here from TikTok. I owe one hundred and twenty thousand. 10, uh, t- 10 years or so on my home. I could pay off my current rate 3.125 if I can get two pluses. What's two pluses? I don't know. Two pluses. I don't know. All right. Well, that wasn't really that wasn't really a good question then, Brett. Uh, well, what's, what's I, wanted to, I wanted to acknowledge it, but if you want some more, you want a better answer, you want any answer, you're going to have to elaborate on what the question is. Is, should I pay off my house? I've got I owe one hundred and twenty five thousand on my house at three and an eighth. Should I pay it off now or should I let the the mortgage ride? I think is the question. Well, can you pay it off now? Well, you because... def- mo- you definitely can pay it off now, and it's going to be subject to the terms of whether there's early payoff penalties on mortgages. Most mortgages don't have an early payoff, but I would say that you have to look at two things which is one, what direction do you think interest rates will go in the next two years and 10 years? And what's the course of inflation going to be over the next 10 years? And I would say right now, inflation is probably going to continue to ramp up, which means that having debt is good because if inflation is higher than your interest rate, then your, your increase in earnings and everything outpaces the cost of your debt. Yeah. So, so ride with the low payments and you know, you're basically, you having that money now at a lower rate at a, at a lesser cost than yeah. you know, if you, if you spent that money now, you could spend it in the future. At, you know, yeah. The else. alternative is, and the other way to look at it is you can either pay $125,000 right now to pay off that loan or what else can you do with that 125,000? If yeah, you can that, put that in the markets and you can make 5%, well, you can 10%. make money. You can make money on that now versus paying off this money and then 
you know, what are you, what are you going to do with, what are you going to do with that free money? Because it's going right, to, right. the, the leftover money that you have or the money that you're making, because it's going to be worth less and less as, as time goes. Now, the advantage of paying off the debt now would be if you wanted to get yourself another property, if you wanted to start doing rentals and you wanted to buy another property, then debt to income is going to matter. And having no debt means that you're going to be much more easily qualified to take a mortgage out on a second property. Whereas if you wanted to take a mortgage out right now, they'd look at the 125,000 debt and that would hurt your chances of being approved for a loan or a loan at the amount that you want. So it all depends on what you want to do with your money and what the rate of return that you expect you to, you can get on your money. If you don't think you can beat three and an eighth percent, then pay off the loan. I think three and an eighth is pretty easy to beat, especially in a high inflation environment. All right. So let's, let's hit this next question. Um, the question comes from a real estate agent saying, how do I handle voucher clients? And the real estate agent uh, should know my answer because he's asked me before, and we talk about this very often in my company and he happens to work for my company. However, we're getting a lot of people that, that are requesting apartment tours with vouchers. And it's very difficult because a lot of landlords don't work with vouchers or try to price their apartment right above the voucher rate. So, the state's advice when you're work, when working with somebody with a voucher is you take their application and you submit it to the landlord. And that's what you need to do. That's, that's kind of the start point and the end point for the advice. However, What's the charge on an application. The, the, usually we don't charge them an application fee. If there's a credit check fee, they got to pay the credit check fee or provide their own credit report. As of the 2019 law, we accept people's credit reports if they run it themselves, which in my opinion is very risky and very high likeliness for fraudulent credit reports. And I've seen many of those come across my desk in the past. The issue is spending a lot of time putting together paperwork and submitting this to landlords. And then the landlords don't want the voucher clients. They slowly phase our company out of sending us their vacancy updates or working with us in the future. That's not an issue that an agent needs to worry about one, but two, before you build up somebody's hopes who's on a voucher, you want to be straight up with them and not say you don't have a very good chance of getting an apartment because you're on a voucher, but you need to review the terms. So what I first off, first thing I ask for when people reach out to me with a voucher, and I'm working with several of them now, is please send me your voucher paperwork so I can see how much it covers and what are the stipulations because the amount will change if someone is renting an apartment that has all utilities included or if heat and hot water are included, or if cooking gas is not included. So there's different stipulations that vary the amount that is paid monthly. Also, there's many different vouchers out there. So you want to see the paperwork first. Uh, If somebody can't get you their voucher paperwork, or they can't put you in touch with a caseworker who can send it to you, then you're probably not going to have a very good shot at getting an application from them or a timely response when it comes to signed paperwork. Uh, so part two is you look at the voucher paperwork and you read and comprehend the details of the voucher. You also have to ask, is there a tenant paid portion? So landlords in New York state can't discriminate against income source voucher counts as a source of income. So landlords can't discriminate against that, nor can real estate agents. However, if there's a tenant paid portion, the tenant will still need to qualify. So they need to have income. They need to have a credit report. So a lot of landlords will turn people away because they, have to pay 30 or 40 or 60 percent of the monthly rent and they have a bad credit score so those are some things to look out for Um, but at the end of the day if the voucher covers the rent 
and there's no tenant paid portion, you don't really have to qualify that person. And we just submit the application. If there is a tenant paid portion, we have to qualify that person. And then we submit the application. It's very simple. Uh, and I wish more landlords would work with vouchers. Uh, it's just typically we're a Manhattan brokerage and we are kind of some of the highest rent prices in the world. And there are cheaper places in New York to live. And since most of these are New York programs or even New York City programs and there's cheaper places, they usually cover kind of median rent prices, which is not really a reflection of the most expensive borough. Uh, but that's that's it. Um, next question, probably a good question for you, James. Um, what's the best way to invest in crypto? What's the best crypto to invest in right now? Uh, it's not a good question for me. Um, I personally am not a strong believer in, in crypto. Uh, I think that it, it's, it's speculation in fiat currency. And like by fiat currency... Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the definition, it's basically currency that's not backed by anything. The United States is fiat currency. We don't have anything backing our currency. There's nothing, there's no gold or silver behind it. It's just basically the value of our currency is the faith in the U.S. government, whatever you value that at. Um, <laughs> but th there's nothing to stop the United States from printing $50 trillion tomorrow and then just putting it into the money supply. They won't do that because it would have terrible consequences, but there's nothing to stop them from doing that. Whereas if there were a gold standard where one ounce of gold equals $1,000 or whatever, then the United States would have to, have to have enough gold to back each dollar. However many dollars are in supply, the United States would need to keep that amount of gold in reserve, which limits the money supply. We don't have that. It's fiat currency. Bitcoin, Doge, Ethereum, you name it, any of those are all fiat currency. And the value of them is the faith that people place within those currencies. And so what, whatever your opinion of the U.S. government may be, there's still a lot of value in it. And the idea that the United States is going to be able to pay its debts and everything has some value. It's really hard for me to see the value in any crypto because it's maintained solely by the faith of its own investors. There, there's nothing else behind it. And there's nothing that you can, there's no fundamentals to it. A you crypto can disappear overnight and, and a, a country is not going to crumble. Probably not. Yeah. But also like if you're looking at investing in a stock, you can look at a company and you can look at their income you're, statement. You're investing in an actual, sheet. yeah, you're investing in a real company. And you can you're, see how much, how much value does this company have? And there's a variety of ways to assess it, but you can get to a number. Whereas with any of these cryptos, there's no way to assess the value because it's just whatever the hive mind of investors say it is. Well, and, I, I got a really good, I got a really good example for you. People investing on the speculation of what was going to happen with GameStop. Mm -hmm. is the way that people invest in cryptocurrency. The yep. way that people invest in actual currency or regular stocks are the way that people were investing with GameStop before it ballooned up and then darted down. So there, 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 there's a big risk in investing in cryptocurrency. And yeah, if you're an expert and you pay a lot of attention, you study it, you, you're, you have some good likeliness of riding that up and hopefully get out before it darts down. But that's, that's what you're investing your money on is the ride up and the dart down, not on the company, you're not investing in the yeah, company, no company GameStop. You're not investing in the company Apple. 
you're you're investing in just kind of speculation yeah, as to what's going you're betting to betting on technicals and momentum which if you want to do that that's fine that's a lot of what i do and you just have to recognize that you're not really investing it's more like gambling and uh, like so rosh says uh he likes doge ethereum kin ave and anchor i don't know i, I know two of those but I'm not the right person to ask because I'm not a firm believer in it. If I was, I'd probably be a lot richer. But again, I, I think that one of the best pieces of advice I've seen with trading is don't buy something that you don't understand. Everyone can look at a company like Apple and say, I understand what they do. They make phones, they make computers, they sell apps on the app store. I understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But when you look at a com- like when you look at Bitcoin, even explaining how it came into existence and how it functions on a minute by minute basis is complicated. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And there are so many coins out there. There, there are hundreds, if not thousands of coins out there all competing for market share. And I couldn't tell you what really distinguishes one between the other. Um, So I would say if you're a casual investor and you want to gamble, go ahead and touch some crypto or whatever. But in terms of being able to assess which one's going to be valuable, I don't really know. The other thing is I have a general rule that I won't invest in anything that Elon Musk talks about. <laughs> well, there's high volatility in that. Right, case. because I like he, through a tweet or some offhand comment, will send a stock or a coin up or down, and you can't predict what this dude's going to say, where... There was one day where he said Tesla's stock is too high and the market responded by dropping at 8%. Like, I don't want to invest in something where somebody can do that to my stock. I want my stock to go up or down based on market forces and, and trends, not because there's a CEO with Asperger's that got bored on a Monday afternoon. I like Musk. I'm not crazy about Tesla. Probably not going to so get on one of his spaceships. You have to look. The other problem with all these with all these coins is you have to look at adoption. So Bitcoin's the most adopted of the coins because a lot of places take it. Um, right now, except Tesla. Have, Tesla no longer. Yeah, takes they it. they no longer do, and that tanked Bitcoin by quite a bit in a day. Um, but you look at a, co- a coin like Doge, which was made as a meme. It was made as a joke coin, and. Where can you spend Doge? Now you can trade it, you can buy it and then sell it and make some money on the side. But in terms of places that directly accept Doge, I'm aware of like, like Tesla is talking about accepting it and then like Slim Jim. Oh, so here's but I mean, the biggest issue with cryptocurrencies is that they're not so much currencies right now, they're effectively stocks. And they're calling themselves currency. They're treated as though they're a capital asset. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right, let's get the let's, next one. Ne- next question. Uh, I got some good pointers on this is how to be more confident. <laughs> I'll let you lead with an answer, James. No. <laughs> I want, I, because... I have some ideas, but I need to formulate them, and I want to hear your harebrained ideas. <laughs> well, look, I think uh, I think a lot of people who appear confident are probably not as confident in their own mind as others perceive them to be. I, in fact, know that to be the case because you talk to people who people idolize, people who are on the cover of magazines, and they almost all of them talk about 
not being confident and it's kind of like a fake it till you make it type situation. But really, I think it is a fake it till you make it and it's a demeanor and it comes with time. So people will develop more respect for you the more confident you appear. People will have confidence in you and it's contagious. You'll start to develop additional confidence. Uh, some of the notes that I have that I just jotted down as I saw the question, um, a really big one is your voice. People who talk really, really fast, very rapidly, very the higher the pitch, typically people don't assume that they have a whole lot of confidence. Remember, confidence is something that you exude. Uh, another thing, so to be a little more confident, you slow down your speaking. You almost It's almost like playing chess. You want to pre-plan what you're saying before you say it or you know, slightly in advance to when you say it. I witness a lot of new real estate agents on the phone, and I know they don't have any confidence. And usually my advice to them is spend some time before you make that call writing down the points that you want to articulate when you're on the call and having some phrases in mind that you want to use. When I was a kid and I had to call places and I was terrified to call places, I would write down exactly what I wanted to say before calling them. That way I was able to get out what I wanted to get out. I was able to convey what I needed over the phone because I knew how to say it in, in advance, not when you're on the hot seat. Um, Another big one when it comes to confidence is your posture and your stance. Uh, a lot of people don't stand squarely on both feet, but you'll notice the people that do tend to command a little more respect or appear a little more confident. Uh, and that also goes with slouching, which I'm I a little think shoulders, shoulders are a big part of it. Shoulders. Where even just having like shoulders together versus shoulders apart, or just like squared shoulders versus like hunched shoulders. You don't have to change anything else about your appearance, but just even like having your arms together versus arms open. I, I, but again, this is all perception. It's how others are perceiving you. So it's really, it works the can, other way too, though, is if you're project, well, like, even if you're not, even if you aren't confident, but you're adopting a stance of confidence, eventually you'll feel more confident. And that's where I was going with it's contagious. People are going to perceive you as more confident, and then that's going to also wear off on you, and you're going to become more confident. Another one I had was eye contact. Something I noticed big time, and again, I work with salespeople all the time. Eye contact is a really, really big one and holding and maintaining eye contact. I often notice that the more confident of the two parties will hold the eye contact while the other looks away. I think that's pretty cool because just to appear more confident to that other person, you just hold the eye contact a little bit longer. And sure, it's uncomfortable as fuck, but it's also uncomfortable for the other person. And they're the person that's going to look away. Um, um, I've got two other tips. All right. One is develop a sense of humor. Be able to laugh at yourself. Confident people ha like are aware that they're not perfect and they kind of revel in it where if they make a mistake, they'll be able to laugh about it. They won't get down on themselves. They'll just be like, oh, that happened. All right, let's move on. And that I, kind of I, goes yeah. into the next point I have, which is, and it's kind of two points in one, which is be decisive, but don't be afraid to say, I don't know. 
don't I waffle about it. Agree. It's just somebody if asks you a question that you don't know, instead of guessing about it or anything, say, I'm not really sure. I'll have to look into that for you. But uh, yeah, rather than bullshitting your answer, because the people who really know the answers are going to look at you and realize that you're, you're bullshitting. So but, be but, decisive uh, when you know. And if you don't know, don't try and fake it because someone will catch you and that will no one will respect you after that. It's better to just say, I'm going to have to look into that a little further. Uh, Rosh just added a question. How about con- confidence over the phone? And I'll give you one key technique there. And that is to use the other person's name. It's just, it's, it just works. People like hearing their own names, but also if you're using the other person's name, you're kind of the one in command on the call. So that's a, that's a nice technique. What was uh, along the- with your other uh, advice about patterns of speech of like everyone's voice is going to be different in terms of pitch, but unnecessarily inflating the pitch of your tone and speaking fast are just two no, no's. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, what was the next question? Ups and downs in starting in real estate. Would you like to take the lead there? Um, sure. <laughs> be prepared. Be prepared for a lot of downs. Yeah. Um, be prepared to send out a whole to, to talk as, as someone who's never worked in real estate, but has heard more than my fair share about it. It's you're going to do a lot of work to get started and not get much of a response and feel like you're doing a whole bunch of work for free. Well, the thing about becoming a real estate professional, all right, not just a real estate agent for you to get to the professional level where you're really making money. It's like going from playing basketball in your driveway to being a professional basketball player. And you probably, your odds are better in real estate, but there's a certain aspect of being a professional where you're making money to do it. That requires a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, an immense amount of patience and practice. And a lot of people get into real estate thinking that it's really, really easy. And while the things that you may do day to day are relatively simple, like if you look at basketball, you could break that down into some very simple things. But being great at it requires requires acute attention to the details and the nuances of the game. Well, it requires a ton of work that you don't see during the 60 minutes or the 48 minutes that you're actually playing the game. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing is a lot happens behind the scenes. And when we have people that argue with us about a broker fee and they're like, Oh, well, you only worked with me for 25 minutes. In actuality, you know, there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. And how many other real estate agents did you work with and take their time and they did not earn a penny? Right. Between the listing fees and building the relationship to the landlords and having the knowledge to find the apartment that's going to work for you and all those other factors. It's just like the story of um, there's a factory and a machine goes down and they, they can't fix it. And so... A guy comes, they, they call a repair guy. He comes in and like in five minutes, like plugs one little thing in and, and the machine's back up and running. And he sends them a bill for like 10,000 bucks. And the owner of the factory says, well, you were only here. You weren't even here for an hour. And that's counting your drive time. Um, why am I paying you $10,000? And so he sends him an invoice for like $50 for time 
and then like $9,950 for knowing how to fix the machine. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it boils down to that. There's a lot of back work that happens and there's a lot of trial and error. And unfortunately, you may not know your errors until you've been doing it for a very, very long time. You may not know what works until you've been doing it for a very, very long time, kind of, kind of like working out. You're going to realize certain muscles are growing because of certain exercises, but you're going to have to do those exercises for a very long time before you notice any muscle growth. Um, you want to hit another question, Rosh? I don't think he scrolled down far enough in the email, but I have some from the previous podcast that we that we didn't get to going out there. Did we do how to buy your dream car? Yeah. We talked about the, yeah, we, we we got lost in in car talk for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, renter's insurance. Yes or no. Did we talk about that one? I don't think, um, renter's insurance. Yes. Uh, I, yeah, Raj will definitely hit the one about breakups. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. So renter's insurance, how much is it for look, now, I'm a huge hypocrite here because uh, I didn't have renter's insurance. Now I have homeowner's insurance, but I didn't have renter's insurance. But um, how much does it cost a month? Like 20 bucks a month? Usually you can get it for less, depending on the size of the apartments and the right, value right. So of what you're declaring. If someone breaks in and steals your stuff, if there's a fire, if there's a water main break that floods your entire place, like but also 20 bucks a month is going to pay you like ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 for the stuff that you had. Cause you don't realize how expensive everything that you have is until you have to replace it. Also the liability aspect. If you have a leak coming from your apartment, leaking into someone else's apartment, the, that other person may sue you and, and, be liable. and you would be liable for it. So the landlord may sue you for damages to the building due to your negligence. And you'd also be liable. And you would also be liable. So renter's insurance really is a very good idea. Homeowner's insurance, also a very good idea and and required is pretty much required. If you have a mortgage, it is required. So um, it's, I'm not a big fan of insurance, but renter's insurance is cheap enough that it's kind of a no brainer. I think homeowners insurance, like I'm paying 1200 bucks a year for homeowners insurance. When I think about the risk of like, if something were to happen to this house, um, $1,200 a year is pretty damn good. Yeah, I guess it's not too, too bad, but the more expensive the insurance, the lesser value it has. I mean, I guess it's all calculated. It, it's probably, it is what it is, but um, you know, with the pickup truck that I bought, for three grand, I could replace the pickup truck every couple. I think my insurance is like 78 bucks a month or something like that. I don't know what it is. No, you're probably not carrying um, collision on it. I'm not carrying. Yeah, I don't think I'm carrying collision. Yeah. Um, all right, let's hit the breakup question. The breakup question was, oh, I feel like this is a, this is a solid question. Well, I want to I hit the exact phrasing. Okay, yeah, Raj said it. How to boss up after a breakup. So you, you want, you want to lead or you want me to lead on that one? Cause I think we need start. to start. Well, okay. So there's some clarifying that, that needs to be done because not every breakup well, is, is think, the same and the state let's of mind. Just, first of all, breakup. let's assume that you're the one who was dumped because if you're the one who broke up with the other person, then there's not much bossing up that you need to do because yeah, but, you're the but, one who made the decision. Fair enough. I, it's I was worse to be broken up with than to break up with somebody. Well, it could be it could be pretty emotionally stressful to break up with somebody, especially yeah, you know if you, generally if you have it's a lot worse of empathy. To be the party that didn't make the decision. 
Yes, I completely agree with you. So you've been broken up with. You're probably pretty depressed. One, I feel like you should have saw that coming. Not always. Not always. But if you didn't see it coming, then you immediately need to do some reflecting. Because something, and more likely than not, something that was in your control... You, and you could have been with a bad person, like you could have been with a shitty person, but, and that, that might be something that you need to take note of. Am I dating bad people? Were there signs that I didn't see so that well, it doesn't happen also, to you again? What is it that I see in bad people that makes me want to date them? Well, that's, yeah, that's at a whole nother level, <laughs> but yeah, that's, but that's, yeah, same, same idea. That's you you might be attracted to the wrong people. So that might be something that you you really need to do some deep diving into. But generally, and, and you know, we could we could go to the long answer version of this question or we could we could go to the short answer the version of the question. The short answer version is you start working out, you start taking care of yourself and your life's going to come back together. And 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 that's it. Even if you're depressed as fuck and you and you get on the rower or you go out for a jog or you hit the bench press, you're going to feel better. That's that's oftentimes an easy solution to just general depression breakup or not. So, um, physical exercise, taking care of yourself, maintaining yourself, cleaning and organizing your surroundings and the life around you in your environment is, is also going to be a big factor, but yeah, clean, clean your room. <laughs> no, but are, no, that's are you, a- I'm yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. It, and it's it's funny because I thought you were joking, but like we both completely agree. Cleaning up your environment, organizing yourself, uh, getting some exercise. Like if you're not doing that because you think they're bullshit reasons, do it, and then and then try to tell me they're bullshit reasons because you're instantly going to feel better about yourself. And no, and no, cleaning your room is something that like if you're if you're depressed after a breakup or whatever, it's therapeutic, and then afterwards you're going to feel like you're in a new surrounding. And speaking of new surrounding, I think go on a weekend trip somewhere. Drive oh, tra- to a city. Yeah, traveling. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, are you sure we didn't talk about this? We touched on it. Okay, yeah. But traveling after a breakup, really, really powerful. Gives you totally new perspective. Um, actually, making your bed is proven to help getting your shit together. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the making the bed thing. You Neither know, am but- I. But if, if you're going for the aesthetic of being organized and clean and put together in your environment, unfortunately, making your bed is part of that. I, I do. I, kind of. I, I think, yeah, get out of town and you don't even have to do go anyplace exotic. Just drive like an hour and a half or two hours away somewhere else and just do like one or two nights in a hotel, cheap hotel in the city and just walk around the city and explore. Maybe do some exercise, go to some parks. Go I got a beach. good one. I got a good one. Music. stop listening to bullshit sappy breakup music and start listening to like some really feel you you got to pay attention to the artist but you don't want to be listening to this sappy music that is is kind of at your vibe level because that's not going to help break that that vibe heavy metal i mean if you if you want to um if you want to boss up which is what the question asks how do i boss up after a breakup like music is impactful I love listening to motivational stuff. I'm sure you probably shit on that. But to me, it's nice to have a constant reminder from successful people telling me like, you have to take action. You have to start making moves and nobody else is responsible except you. Do people and, listen to sappy music after a breakup? Dude, I have. Yes. I, I, yeah, 100% it's true. 
uh, uh, Frank Turner uh, tape deck heart, which is about a guy that's like struggling with alcohol and, and, and drug abuse. Not that I've struggled with drug abuse, but, and uh, you know, not that I feel like I've struggled with alcohol abuse, but, um, but it's definitely, you can relate to that. You can relate to just hear Abba says meeting someone new that's dangerous. It can work. But, but yeah, but dating after a breakup is that's I mean, I, I'll tell you, that's a great way to boss up after a breakup. If if you're in the right mindset for that. Right. But, you know, it's the issue is that you get attached to somebody to fill the void. And it's the wrong person. And it's more like you're not addressing happen. the core issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's more likely to happen because you're in a bad place. There's a you know, there's finding somebody else to make you feel better about yourself is probably not the best way to feel better about yourself. Uh, here, l- let me ask you this question because for me, what I've found is that after every relationship, I find that I refine my criteria narrower and narrower. <laughs> Spend longer lengths of time single. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I would definitely... I would definitely agree with you on that in some respects. Um, But then you also have that, you know, that thing that's like driving you to get back into a relationship. So you have to kind of (laughs) get out of a relationship. All right. We're narrowing things down. Six months later, you're like, all right. Um, we're gonna have to get, bring the committee back together and revisit the rules but i mean it depends on how much pain you're in like if you, if you got broken up with and you're, and you're really really bummed like you don't want that shit to happen again so refining your criteria spending a little more time dating before you get into actual exclusive committed relationships you know that 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 may help too but really you know little exercise little taking care of yourself listen to some some good music do a little traveling and if you do those things you, you're not going to need any more help that's simply simply put um what's rosh's comment here rosh says refining your criteria narrower might help you keep help keep, might keep you from thinking you had something to do with it and improve yourself mm-hmm. yeah but you well i mean yeah sure sometimes it's you and you're just like yeah the criteria were fine i just fucked up but other times it'll be when you realize that you're with somebody that wasn't really compatible you have to say okay what was it about them that wasn't compatible and then i guess add that to the list of exclusions yeah. And I mean, it gives you a good it gives you a good opportunity to reflect on like what wasn't working in the relationship. And and usually hey, look, that's me. Let's hit uh, let's hit this one. Stay or leave New York City. Um, it really depends on what you want. I was very happy to have left New York City. I don't regret it. There are aspects of New York City that I miss, but they're vastly outweighed uh, of being in a place where there's excessive amount of space, total freedom. And, you know, New York City was getting a lot for me, the, the homeless people and the crazy laws and, you know, just crazy people. But it depends on where you are in your life. You know, I, I, I think a lot of people should stay in New York City and just, you know, I, I don't want, I don't know what's prompting you to ask that question. But my question to the question asker would be what's prompting you to ask that question and what are your options in terms of leaving New York city? Because leaving your apartment in New York city and moving across the river to Jersey 
and still going to New York City for work and spending a lot of time in the city is different than moving from New York City to Denver. Topeka. Yeah, or, or Topeka. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it depends on what's prompting you to ask that question. Are you sick because you don't have enough space? Are you sick because you don't make enough money? Like, what's what's the drive there? So, so really, the answer to that question can only be answered by asking a few more a few more questions. Uh, what else do we have in terms of outstanding questions? Rush. How do I retire now? We answered that one a little bit, which is we need to know a lot more about your situation to have any opinion. How to start investing? We did an entire podcast on that. We ha- Yeah, and we just talked a little bit about the cryptos as well. Oh, oh yeah. the question that we answered wasn't how to boss up after a breakup. The question we answered was where to travel after a breakup. Yeah, we... Well, so two and, different questions. Yeah, but they're related. Exactly, yeah. All right, uh, let's keep on going. What, uh, what other questions we got? Uh, I think we mo- we may have answered most of the questions. From well, the let's first. get some. Let's get some from the viewership. How to get New York City landlords to be better? Did we address that one in the last podcast? I have no way of addressing it. Well, <laughs> this is how, not a question for me. But I don't. I don't think there's a really great way to make New York City landlords be better. I think. You know, I think, unfortunately, they have kind of this monopoly on the market. New York City landlords are, are going to do what they're going to do. And that's a really shitty answer on that. I, I, I'd like to I'd like to offer some advice, like withholding rent or something like that. But at the, end, that. Of the, day, at the Ooh, end of the day, there was like, one question we didn't hit um, from way back. All right. Let me let me finish answering this question, though, is you're not in a position of power most of the time when it comes to negotiating with New York city landlords, unfortunately it's like going to a restaurant and saying, how can I, how can I make the food here better? Well, the answer is really, you can't, it's not your restaurant. You have the option to go to a different restaurant, but if that restaurant sucks too, you're probably not going to have a good meal today. What's the, uh, the question I'll let you read the next question. Go ahead. The, the question that, got lost up in the chat was should i still pay rent during the rent moratorium okay what's what's your you have an answer on that one yes because if you don't pay the rent you're going to owe it at the end of the rent moratorium and then you're going to have either a lump sum bill that's going to be hard to pay or you're going to get evicted eviction is not is it's not like you're never going to get evicted for not paying rent you're just going to get evicted later and getting evicted sucks Yes, I completely agree with you. And the landlords are going to want their money. At the end of the day, you're going to end up in court. The The courts will, you know, everybody's saying, well, the courts are going to be overrun. The courts, the courts will deal with it. And you will the have courts to are going it. to just get things through so quickly. Well, really, what you need to be doing is you need to be applying for every grant, uh, every form of rent relief that's out there. Because there are lots of these things. And if you get denied, you need to be appealing them and you need to be pleading your case. And that's that, you know, at, at some point in time, the guillotine is going to come down when it comes to that rent moratorium. It's going to end. It's not fair for landlords to just stop receiving rent. And, and I get it. It's not fair for you to just be evicted. But again, we're at what the 14, 15 month mark. And if you haven't gotten yourself in line by month 15, 
you're probably not going to have yourself in line by year three. So you need to make some changes in your life. And if that means moving out and downsizing, you need to do that. But I'll give a slight exception for some of the industries that are still closed, like theater work and, and things like that. But still, if you've gone 15 months and done nothing to try to find alternate work, because I mean, if we know theater is going back on in September, but you still have five months until then, like you could be trying to do something in the meantime to try to make a couple of bucks, even, even if it's off the books, like, yeah. yeah. And, and you should be applying for unemployment and at least contributing something to the rent so that the landlords know in good faith that, uh, that you are trying and you should be communicative with, with your landlord. I know when our office shut down, when, Right off the bat, when things started to get bad before they shut our office down, I emailed our office landlord and said, hey, this is what's happening. A heads up. Give me your advice on what you think we should do, but it's not looking good. Our business is kind of evaporating. And then they shut us down and I emailed. There's a cat. Huh? You have a cat? My roommate does. Well, it look, looks like your room has a cat in it right now. Uh, but point is I emailed my landlord and said, Hey, we're being shut down. You know, do you guys have any advice for your tenants? And of course they didn't respond to either of those emails. And you know, now, now is now, uh, any other questions, uh, on in this chat here, any other questions? Are you a sugar daddy? No, I, I am not a sugar daddy. Um, <laughs> Raj just forwarded that question. Any, any other, uh, advice questions you guys have advice that you guys need? Um, no subject is off limits clearly by cyborg Janie. Am I a sugar daddy? I don't even have a girlfriend. So well, no, well, that's, that's too bad. You can have a lot. So you just got to pay for expensive shit. Uh, how do I retire now? Uh, is now the right time to buy if I already own? I think we talked about that. And yeah, we, we hit decided, those ones. We decided no, it was not. Are you superstitious? So, uh, no, I think the superstitions are, are, are really stupid. It's false equivalence or false false association. Where yes. just because two things happen to happen at the same time doesn't mean that they have any causal relation to each other. I don't believe in any superstitions. <laughs> Um, but you never know. Better safe than sorry, James. No, that's also a superstition <laughs> and also stupid. Sometimes uh, you got to take risks. All right. On that note, I think we have hit pretty much all the questions that came out over the last. Thank you, subordinate. Um, <laughs> so uh, thank you guys for sending the questions. We're going to uh, flip things around. We got some crazy stuff happening this week. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to drop some big news this week. I'll share it on the next episode of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. It's definitely big news for me, big news for the company. Uh, James, I think you'll, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this news. So, uh, stay tuned on that guys. Thank you for joining. Don't forget. You finally decided to, uh, to transition. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I started taking the, the, the pills for the hormones already hoping to grow my hair back. Actually, you know what I did? The one lousy thing about being bald, I like being bald. I like, I like being able to shave my head. It's very nice. As you saw, Rosh recently buzzed his head. It's very liberating. Over the weekend. I'm disappointed in Rosh. I think oh, you should have gone for the fro. Over the weekend, we had some people working on the house. Uh, 
They were shorter fellas, uh, as are oftentimes manual laborers. Uh, but these guys were good. They're real nice guys. They knew what they were doing. But they didn't require as much clearance from the garage door when opening the garage door. So they opened the garage door like five, six the way open. Okay. So I came in the garage to grab some stuff out of the garage. I grabbed a, a Diet Pepsi. I'm walking out of the garage. I get a kind of a big blast of sunlight because the house is recently painted. So it's, it's bright white. And I kind of I kind of step back a little bit as I'm going out, adjust my stance. And I just squarely clock the top of my head on the garage door. The garage door has this big echo booming, you know, because it's on springs and all the metal. And the Pepsi goes flying out of my hand, starts shooting Pepsi all over the air. And my head was just ringing for like half of the day. And I had a giant knot on the, and you could see a little, you could see a little bit. Um, oh, your head's just lumpy. Oh no. Yeah. There was a definitely like a red mark there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was bleeding, and, but it wasn't bleeding bad, but it like broke the skin and there was a big knot on the, on the top of my head. So your what broad, was the racist comment? What was the racist comment? What was that? About Rosh picking out the fro? Like, um, I don't know. Uh, but the uh, but having hair definitely will guard your head just a little bit. But also, it will hide any lumps on your head. <laughs> so because I had a big ass, it was like an egg on the top of my head. Uh, that was that yeah. was nice. Um, I still remember when I came up to New York City one time and like I didn't have any uh, I didn't bring like many toiletries with me and you were at work and I woke up and I had the shower and I couldn't find shampoo anywhere in your shower. I was like, who the fuck doesn't it? Oh, right. Yeah, that's why it doesn't have shampoo. Yeah, it's being bald. I think the racist comment actually was about the the guys that work on the house being of shorter stature. And there's no other way to explain why the garage door wasn't open all the way. And for people to understand it, so Shahir Abba wants to know if we can, if if we can interview us. Uh, yeah, we'd be we'd be open to an interview, but yes, laborers are often short. Whether you want to look at that as racist or not, go to Home Depot, take the average height of the people standing outside looking for day work, and I promise you, it's it's going to be about five six or or less, and that's just how it is. So all I'm doing is painting a picture so you can better visualize. If it hurt your feelings, I, I apologize for that. But somebody who's five six waiting outside a Home Depot at seven thirty in the morning would probably agree with me. He's five six. How tall are you? Five ten, but the real five ten. Usually, when somebody tells you they're five ten, it means like they're five seven and a half. I'm just regular five ten. On that note, <laughs> how tall are you? Six foot. Somewhere between 5'11 and 6 foot. All right. So you're 5'11. Uh, <laughs> it really depends on what day I'm measuring and like if I stand up properly. Probably more like 5'11, though. <laughs> A lot of exaggeration when it comes to height. I've never not been measured and, and not been 5'10. So I just, uh, uh, my it, height it, doesn't it really, seem to like, fluctuate. It really is either 5'11 or 6 foot, but like <clears throat> either of those answers are honest. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, on that note, <clears throat> thank you guys for joining don't forget if you've gotten this far you're still listening to us do us a favor hit the youtube subscribe to the podcast 
go to your audio podcast platform, search Sip Talk, subscribe to the podcast. It's going to help us grow. It's going to help us have more questions to answer on air, which will also in turn help us be more interesting. And I can right. only imagine... We need to remember this question to open up with when the Derv joins. Would <clears throat> it be racist to say that jockeys have to be short to work? Let's leave that for Thursday. <laughs> on that note, thank you for joining us. Adios. Peace. See ya. All right. Thank you for listening to this entire episode. This is the end of the episode. If you made it this far, you owe me a subscribe. You at least owe me a comment, maybe a like. Um, but... That's the end. So uh, I will see you next time. Thanks for coming. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.